In our study of Luke 21, we now come to Jesus talking about the city of Jerusalem. And he talks about it in two different places, in two different ways in the Olivet Discourse. He talks about the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD, which of course is almost 2,000 years ago for us, but for Jesus, it was the future. And he also talks about Jerusalem in the last days, what Jerusalem is going to be like in the very last time, right before Christ returns. The, Jeru the city of Jerusalem is unlike any other city in the world. It is a place where God has put his name. And by putting God's name, when he says, this is a place I'm going to put my name, I think what he's saying is, this is gonna be the place that my son is gonna die for you. This is gonna be the place where this significant work is going to be done. No wonder Jerusalem becomes a significant place in the last days, and no wonder the new city that comes out of heaven is in, in the book of Revelation is called the new Jerusalem because God had done work in the city of Jerusalem already. When Solomon had built the temple in Jerusalem, here's what God said to Solomon. And the Lord said to him, I have heard your prayer and your supplication that you have made before me. I have consecrated this house, which you have built to put my name there forever. My eyes and my heart will be perpetual. God's eyes and God's heart were perpetual in the city of Jerusalem. It is the city where he chose to redeem mankind. It is the city where he will rule from, from the millennial period, that thousand years in the future, when he's keeping his promises to the nation of Israel, he will rule on the throne of David for a thousand years. And at the end of the age, the Bible says that, that Jerusalem will become a cup of trembling to the entire world. That that city is going to be a catalyst that will cause the entire world to have struggles. This is Zechariah 12, 2, where it says, Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of drunkenness to the surrounding peoples when they lay siege against Judah and Jerusalem. Now, we're covering the Olivet Discourse, where Jesus speaks about the future, and he talks about the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD, and he gives us that section in Luke 21. In Luke 24, he doesn't talk about that. He talks about Jerusalem at the end of the age. So you, in order to get the entirety of the Olivet Discourse, you've got to cover Luke 21, Mark 13, and Matthew 24. No, no one of them gives you everything that is said. And there's no guarantee that if we study it all and put it in chronological order, which people have done, there's no guarantee that we've gotten everything that Jesus said. Because maybe... Some of the things he was saying was just for his disciples. The Bible says, and when he was on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him and they asked him these questions privately. So maybe he had some things that were only for them, but we have been given that which is revealed to us. And it's really important for us to understand he's talking about two different time frames when he's talking about the nation, yeah, the, the nation of Israel or the city of Jerusalem. Because this causes confusion. People will read of the destruction that is obviously 70 AD in Luke, and then they'll be in Matthew and read of the abomination of desolation that happens in the tribulation period. And they're like, what? what? I, don't, I don't understand it. Well, I want to help clear that up today by looking at these two different accounts. 
they are similar. It's the same person giving them. And they're similar in that he says things like, woe to those who are pregnant in those days who have to flee. Because if you had to flee a city because of a danger, that'd be a bummer. If you have children, small children you're nursing, that would be a drag as well. He also says in the last one, pray it's not on the Sabbath because even in Jerusalem today, they keep the Sabbath day. There are neighborhoods, if you drive your car through certain, so through certain neighborhoods, they will throw rocks at your car because you're not supposed to make a fire on the Sabbath day and your car's making a bunch of little fires and they're stoning that car because they're breaking. When you go to Jerusalem, if you want to go out and eat on Friday night, remember the Sabbath starts on Friday sundown till Saturday sundown. So if you want to go out and eat on Friday night, you've got to go to a Sabbath breaker restaurant in order to eat. And they call it that. Well, there's a couple Sabbath breaker restaurants that are open that you guys, that you Americans can go eat at because they keep the Sabbath even in their day. And Jesus will talk about that. So here's what I want to do to start. I want to read both passages. I want to read the one where he talks about the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. And then I want to read in Matthew 24 where he talks about the Antichrist causing the abomination of desolation, which is at the end of the age, in the middle of the tribulation period. I want us to point out, we'll look at the similarities and we'll look at the differences. Okay? So let's start with Luke 21, just four verses, 20 through 24. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, that's unique to this. When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, know then that its desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those that are in the midst of her depart and let those who are, uh, and let not those who are in the country enter her. So when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, get out of there and don't enter the city. For these are the days of vengeance that all things which are written must be fulfilled. Now, this is what causes some people some questions because they go, the days of vengeance that all things that are written must be fulfilled. That's the end of the world. But it's not. It's from Jesus's perspective. These are the days of vengeance that all things that are written about the destruction of Jerusalem and the dispersion of the people of Israel around the world are going to be fulfilled. He's not talking about the things that are talking about the end of the age. And I'll come back and show you that momentarily. We'll come back. We'll actually look at some passages. Let's listen to the rest of what it says. But woe to those who are pregnant, to those who are nursing babies in those days, for there will be great distress in the land and wrath on the people, and they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive into all nations. That's the key to this passage. It is when they are surrounded by an army, they are destroyed, and they are led captive into all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. And Gentiles were in control of Jerusalem since 70 AD after Titus, who would be the future emperor, took Jerusalem and it was under Gentile control until 1967, which I'm looking around the room and realizing that there's not as many people alive who were alive in 67 as I thought. But there are those of us here who were alive in 67 when it, Jerusalem came back under Israeli control. All right, so this is about the destruction and the dispersion of the people. Now let's go to Matthew 24, where he uses similar language, but it's a different warning. The warning in the first passage is, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies. Now in Matthew 24, verse 15, it says, therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet. 
This is when the Antichrist puts up a statue of himself in the newly rebuilt temple and the false prophet commands people to worship the beast, the Antichrist. And this is when Israel realizes they've made a mistake. This is all in the book of Revelation. They realize they've made a mistake and now they turn to Jesus as their Messiah. God uses this event, the abomination of the newly rebuilt temple to bring them back as a nation. So this is not seen Jerusalem surrounded by an army, but when you see the abomination of, Daniel, of, de, of, of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand, means it's going to take a little bit to figure it out, right? Whoever reads, let him understand, let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Now he's using similar language because you're in Jerusalem, you see the abomination of desolation. But if you're in Judea, get to the mountains. Let those who are on the housetop not go back down and get anything out of the house. Just like when Jerusalem was surrounded by armies, they needed to get out of there. If you, if you left, there's nothing important enough in the city to go back and get. When the Antichrist commits the abomination of desolation, there's nothing important in your home that you need to go back and get. You need to get out of the city. These are for the Jews. And the Jews will be protected in the tribulation period in the future as well. So it says, uh, it goes on to say then, and let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes, but woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies in those days and pray that the flight may not be in winter, obvious reasons, and Sabbath, obvious reasons, for then there will be great tribulation such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time. So that's different than the dispersing of nation, around the nations. There's great tribulation. This is the tribulation period. Jesus talked about there being a time coming that is worse than anything this world has ever seen and worse than anything the world's ever seen. That's going to be that time after the abomination of desolation. And then it says, but for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. So the two things that we see are different are one surrounded by armies. The other is the abomination of desolation. One of them, the people of Israel are scattered around the world. And in the other one, there's a warning that this horrible time is coming upon the earth and that God's going to shorten the days for the sake of the elect. The days are going to be shortened. There are two distinct different times. And it makes sense in the Olivet Discourse, he's talking about Jerusalem, that he brings up these two different times. Now, in verse 20, let's go ahead and break down our text. In verse 20, in Luke 21, but when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, this happened in 66 AD when Nero had commanded that Jerusalem would be taken. Nero, interestingly enough, is a type of the last emperor, the Antichrist, who will be the emperor of the revived Roman Empire. And Nero will die before they're taken Vespasian will become the emperor, will command it to be taken by his son Titus, who will take the city of Jerusalem. Titus will be there. Titus, and, and, and it's very difficult for them to take it, which is interesting. If you would like to know more about how this all came about, you can read Josephus' work, The Wars of Israel, the seventh book. And they have the smaller book. I like to call it the Cliff Notes. It's not just the Cliff Notes but it's a smaller book that's an easier read than Josephus' stuff. Hey, if you're scholarly and you want to go through Josephus' stuff, it's fantastic. But there are, are ways to read about this and the battle that ensued and how Israel at some times got the upper hand against the, Roman, um, against the Roman army. 
and it took them a lot while to get through. When they finally got through, they were really upset and they really devastated the temple. They devastated the whole city of Jerusalem. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, that's 766 AD to 70 AD, then know that its desolation is near. Know when that happens, it's going to be destroyed soon. And that those who are in Judea flee to the mountains and those that are in the midst of her depart and let not those who are in the country enter her. Now, it is remarkable that Christians in the city of Jerusalem heeded the words of Jesus and escaped the destruction. Remember, there was an early church in Jerusalem. James, the half-brother of Jesus, was the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. Jesus had said, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then get out of it. And so they escaped. There are two different historians that talk about this. When Rome was eventually destroyed, Josephus, who is a Jewish historian, he was actually a turncoat. He was a, he was a Pharisee. He was a Jewish priest, or he's a Jewish Pharisee who worked for the Romans and writing down history. And Josephus says that 1.1 million people died in the destruction of Jerusalem. Now, Josephus has some accuracy problems and people believe that that number isn't right. There's another historian that says 600,000. That sounds more accurate. Which, whichever one you, you would want to believe, whatever or not, it's fine. But also we're told that 100,000 were taken as slaves to Rome. That Titus, after he took Jerusalem, that they had this parade, which they would do, back in the streets of Rome, and they brought 100,000 slaves with them and paraded them through the streets. Can you imagine that? And if you go to Rome today, and I know that many of you guys have been there, in the Forum in Rome, not far away from the Colosseum, is the Arch of Titus. And the next time you go, you need to go stop and look at the Arch of Titus. Because engraved on it is a picture of some of these slaves who are enchained. And the candelabra when they looted the temple. They carried the candelabra away. And you can see the other temple implements that are in the Arch of Titus as this whole thing is spoken about. Now, we have two different historians. There's an early Christian scholar named Eusebius. And Eusebius said this, the whole body, however, of the church in Jerusalem, having been commended by divine revelation, removed from the city and dealt, dwelt in a certain town beyond the Jordan called Pella, P-E-L-L-A. So he said that being given divine warning, they escaped from the city and were not killed. Epiphanes also attested to the Christians' escape. He said, it is very remarkable that not a single Christian perished in the destruction of Jerusalem. Though there were many there when Cestius Gaius invested the city. So when the siege first happened, there were many Christians who were there, but by the time it was destroyed, no Christian was, was killed because they had left. It says, and had he, had he persevered in the siege, he would have soon rendered himself master of it. But when he unexpectedly and unaccountably raised the siege, the Christians took that opportunity to escape. 
Now, here's what happened. Early on in the siege, in the East Gate area, the guard, unexplainably, and they, we don't know why, was lifted from the East Gate. And when it says the guard, it doesn't mean a single guard, like there's the guard. You can leave the East Gate. It means a large number of guys that are the guard at the East Gate. For some reason, that guard was lifted and the Christians escaped so that they were not destroyed in 70 AD. Now, follow what I'm saying here because Epiphanius used the word remarkable and it is remarkable. They heeded the words of Jesus. When you see the city surrounded by armies, get out of it and don't go back in it. Don't go get anything. Get out of there. They left when they saw it and they were saved from the destruction. I don't think it's too far for me to say that if you will heed the words of Jesus yourself, that you will be saved from the destruction that is to come as well. They listened to the words of Jesus and the Christians in Rome were saved from the destruction. The destruction was brutal. They were so angry that it took so long that the soldiers went through the street and killing, killed people indiscriminately. Men, women, children, just slaughtered everyone and only took 10% of them as slaves. That was so many slaves, by the way, that were told that when they brought the Jewish slaves back into the slave market in Rome, that it almost destroyed the slave market. That it flooded the market with slaves and people who were selling slaves stopped selling them because there was no profit in it because there were so many slaves that were suddenly brought in from the area of Israel. They were completely, it was completely devoid of Jewish people. They took people from Israel out of the area completely. Now, verse 22 is interesting. It says, for these are the day of vengeance that all things which are written may be fulfilled. Now, this causes some confusion. And some people say, well, this means that this had to happen at the end of the age because all things that are written are going to be fulfilled. However, it's talking about from the point of Jesus. Jesus says, this is the days of vengeance when all the things that are written must be fulfilled. In the Old Testament, God had said to the nation of Israel on many occasions, because you have rebelled, because you've committed adultery, because you've sacrificed your children to false gods, I will remove you from the city and I will disperse you in the nations. It's said over and over again. This, remember, this is talking about dispersing in the nations. So if you were to do a search, if you just pull up a search engine and you type in prophecies of Israel being dispersed, you're going to get different lists of prophecies. One of them has a hundred in them. So we're going to take time to read a hundred different prophecies that say that. I'm just kidding. Some of you guys are like, okay, bring it. Come on. Another one says 22. So you can get more information if you want it. But remember, he said, this is the days of vengeance when all the things that are written are going to come to pass. Let me give you a sampling of those. In 1 Kings 14, 15, it says, for the Lord will strike Israel as a reed is stricken in the water. He will root Israel from the, from the good land which he gave to their fathers and will scatter them beyond the river. That's the river Jordan because they have made their wooden images provoking the Lord to anger. In Ezekiel 20, 23, it says, also, I raise my hand in an oath to those in the wilderness that I will scatter them among the Gentiles and disperse them throughout all countries. There is a reason that there are Jewish pockets all throughout Europe 
There is a reason that they were all throughout the Middle East, many of them being removed. For thousands of years, there were communities of Jewish people who were in Iran and in Iraq that had been completely removed within the last hundred years. They've been taken out. In Leviticus 26, 32, it says, and I will bring the land to desolation and your enemy will dwell in it, shall be astonished at it. In other words, it'll be said, destruction will be so astonished, so great they'll be astonished. I will scatter you among the nations and draw out a sword after you and your land shall be desolate and your cities a waste. And Jesus said that Jerusalem would be trampled by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. Deuteronomy 4.27 says, And the Lord will scatter you among the people and you will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you. One more, Psalms 44.11. You have given us up like sheep intended for food and have scattered us among the nations. So Jesus is saying there are all of these promises that you're going to be scattered among the nations and this is the day of vengeance when all things written must be fulfilled. Now let's read the rest of what Jesus said. But woe to those who are pregnant, this is verse 23, but woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days for there will be great distress in the land and wrath upon the people and they will fall by the sword. That's in the middle of the, a lot of the prophecies. They will fall by the sword and be led away captive to all nations. This is the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament passages that because they did not continue to serve God, they were led captive into all nations. And then he says, and we'll cover this, and Jerusalem will be trampled by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. That's a very powerful prophecy. Now, before we're done with Luke 21, we're going to talk about different points, different types of beliefs about the last days. There is amillennialism, which believes that there's really no millennial. It's kind of just, um, it, it just is spoken of, but it doesn't really mean anything. Then there's postmillennialism that believes that the church is going to Christianize the world. Things are going to get better and better until we hand things to Jesus. There's premillennialism, which most of us here are, we believe that Jesus is going to return before the millennium and then he's going to rule on the throne of David during a thousand years to keep all of his promises to Israel that were not able to be kept. Then there's preterism. Preterism says everything was fulfilled in 70 AD. That all of what is spoken about in all the Old Testament, about the end of the world, all that's spoken about in Revelation was all fulfilled in 70 AD. There's partial preterism and there's full preterism. Now, if you're a partial preterist and you're here, we will give you the hand of fellowship. Doesn't matter to us as Christians whether you're amillennial, postmillennial, premillennial, or a preterist. We're all, we're all saved by grace, by Christ. And what you believe about the end of the world is what we call secondary issues. They're not main issues. You are believers and you can be wrong if you want to. I'm teasing. If you're post, if you're all millennial, I'm just teasing. We can have fellowship with these positions. Full preterism is a different story. Remember, there's partial preterism and full preterism. Full preterism believes that Jesus came back in 70 AD. Jesus said, lightning is lightning comes from the east and the west. So will the return of the Son of Man be. It, we, were, we all were going to see it. It's a worldwide event when he returns. And so full preterism has very real problems and breaks the Christian creeds. 
The Christian creeds are, we believe that Jesus was born of a virgin. We believe that he died for our sins. We believe that he rose from the dead. We believe that he will return again. And full preterism rejects the return of Jesus. There's some other reasons I won't go into. I don't think I need to right now about why we think that full preterism has very real problems where partial preterism doesn't. So I just wanted you to know there are a group of people out there and they're pretty vocal. They're small, but they're vocal who are going to tell you, well, we believe everything happened in 70 AD and now you're going to be able to go, oh yeah, okay, pre preterism, right? That's what, what, that's what that is. Obviously, things were not fulfilled in 70 AD. Now, speaking of that preterism, let's now getting that out of the way, let's look at this last statement that he's made. So, the remarkable thing that Christians escaped, but then he says, and Jerusalem will be trampled by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. So after Rome took control of Israel, there were several battles among nations, and finally they settled into what we call the Crusades. The Crusades were basically between Britain and the Ottomans, and the Ottomans won most of the Crusades. And the Ottomans controlled Israel for 400 years before 1900. And they cut down the trees and they salted the land. They had an interest in destroying and making desolate the land of Israel. Now, the Bible foretold that that would happen. And then in the latter years, that God would restore the land of Israel. Today, Israel, if you, if you go there, you will go up on top of Mount Carmel, where Elijah had his, his interaction with the prophets of Baal. And when you look out over the Jezreel Valley, which has Megiddo by it and the Mount Megiddo, this is the valley of, of Armageddon. It's the Jezreel Valley that the battle will take place, the Valley of Jehoshaphat, where it will take place. It's nothing but farmland today. A hundred years ago, it wasn't. It was completely desolate. But God said, I'm going to restore the land. I'm going to restore its fruitfulness. It's exactly as God said it would take place in Ezekiel 36 and 37. Then God said, I'm going to restore the people to Israel. And they're going to come in mass numbers and they're going to cover the land. And in the early 1900s, there were a few thousand Jews in Israel. Today, there are 6.5 million Jewish people that live in Israel. It's an incredible number that was foretold. And then God said, and I will make them a nation born again in a day. And in 1948, I think it's May 14th, 1948, Israel became a nation in a day. But they were not in control of Jerusalem. Jerusalem remained in control of the Jordanians. And here's why. Because when Britain was, Britain was giving, they had colonized the world, right? And so Britain had, was giving everything back at this point. In the early 1900s, they were done trying to control the world. They're giving everything back. And so they had, in the Belfour Agreement, they had said that they would give Israel what is all of Jordan today and what is all of Israel. But when they were appealed by the Hussein family, the Hussein family of Jordan, they gave most of it to Jordan. They drew a line down the Jordan River and they gave everything on the other side of Israel today. That is Jordan. They gave it to the Hussein family. And today there's still a King Hussein who sits on the throne. They're descendants of the Hussein family. 1935, the Belfort Agreement was reneged on. They gave that land to the Hussein family. Then they gave the rest of the land to the UN. They didn't know what to do. You've got all of these Palestinians who are there. You've got all these Jewish people who are there. This is the early 40s. What do we do with it? They gave it to the UN. So the UN divided the land. You could look at the lines. You can go in and look up what they divided it. 
Because Israel, the resources are interesting. You can't just cut it in half and, and give resources to each, you know, Palestinians here, Jews here. So they divided the land in a weird way, giving the West Bank and Jerusalem to the Palestinians, giving certain other areas, the coastland, a lot of the coastland and certain other areas to the Jews. The resources really were divided pretty evenly. And, in, and when the UN said, you guys can declare yourself as nations, Israel did it. Israel said they did it. And Ben-Gurion in, in May of 1948, born again in a day, as the Bible said, became a nation of Israel. The Palestinians said, this was really under Jordanian control, the Palestinians said, we will not become a nation as long as Israel's a nation. They refused it and they've refused several times the opportunity to declare and become a nation because they don't want Israel to be a nation. They want all the land of Israel. They don't want to be a partial nation in the land and they refused. And so an immediate war broke out. Remember, Jordan's in control of the parts that the Palestinians had. And Egypt, Syria, Lebanon, these are all the surrounding nations, attacked Israel in 1948, as soon as they declared themselves to be a nation. This is called the War of Independence in Israel. The United States backed Israel. And we took a lot of our equipment from World War II. This is in the late 40s. In the early 40s, we were in a war, World War II, and we took our equipment from Europe and we brought it to Israel and we supported Israel. And Israel really miraculously, because it's such a small land area, defeated all of the surrounding countries. But they still didn't control Israel. In 1967, Russia got involved and began to arm Jordan and Egypt and Lebanon and Syria. Israel found out about it. There was a preemptive strike on the, the firearms that were being stockpiled for them. And a war broke out again in 1967. It's called the Six-Day War in Israel. And Israel, for the first time since 70 AD, took control of Jerusalem. Jesus said, Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. I think we can say that the time of the Gentiles was fulfilled in 67. And we're a lot of years after that. That doesn't mean that the end would come when the time of the Gentiles was fulfilled. But all it means is there was a time during history where God was dealing with Gentiles and wasn't dealing with the nation of Israel. And then a time when God would all of a sudden start dealing with Israel again. That also doesn't mean we agree politically with what Israel does. This is really important. Because sometimes people will say to me, well, you realize that Israel did this, then they'll tell us things that Israel did. And I like to stop. I'm like, I don't agree with everything Israel does. I don't agree with everything the United States does. In fact, I rarely agree with anything the United States does. I think we're kind of all that way, right? All we're saying is th they're people like anyone else and they're highly secular. Israel, you might think that they're highly Jewish and that they're very religious. They're not. If you're walking downtown by, and there's, a, there's some event going on, there's a bunch of people downtown, and you walk by them, do you think they're all Christians? You walk by going, look at all these Christians in America. Or you go to Disneyland or something where there's a lot of Christians. I mean, a lot of people. Do you say, look at all these Christians. But the world sees us as a Christian nation. The world says America is a Christian nation. But we are highly secular. And Israel is the same way. We look at Israel, and if you've never been there, you think, well, they're all Jewish. They're all Jewish by religion. But they're not. They're highly secular. Like people today, a lot of Americans don't go to church. They don't go to synagogue. They don't do those things. They're highly secular in their day. And God will one day restore them as a nation to himself. 
they will one day receive Jesus as their Messiah. That's part of the promises. And let me read you that passage out of Romans 11, 25 and 26. And we're almost done. It says, for I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery. So here's a mystery that lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel. In part, they have become blind. There are more Jews coming to Christ today than ever before. But blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Jesus said Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot until the time of the Gentiles is done. Romans 11 tells us there's a fullness of the Gentiles. So when the fullness of the Gentiles takes place, and we don't know really what defines, what's the difference between the time of the Gentiles and the fullness of the Gentiles? But then it goes on to say, and so all of Israel will be saved. And we know that happens during the tribulation period after the abomination of desolation. That they have received the Antichrist as their kind of Messiah. I'm not saying officially, I'm just saying because they signed a peace agreement with them and he rebuilt their temple. And now they realize that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, I don't know if all here, it says, so all Israel will be saved. I don't know if all means every single Israeli person in the world will receive Jesus as their Messiah. But I know this, all can never mean few. All might not mean every person, but all can never mean few. The, large, the largest amount of Israel will receive Jesus as their Messiah. That is as exciting to me as Jerusalem coming under Israeli control. And the reason that's exciting is because Jesus prophesied it. Never has there been a nation that had a land, was a nation, stopped being a nation, lost their land, lost their language, lost their capital, and then they got their land back, got their language back, got their capital back, and God foretold that it would happen. And it ought to be amazing to us that it's happened. The Hebrew language was a dead language that is revived, that got revived, and now there's a whole language, a whole nation that speaks it. When you go to Israel today, they speak Hebrew. It was a dead language, and the Bible said the language would be revived as well. Now, let me give you three thoughts in closing. Number one, God will keep his promises. If God said that he was going to bring the nation of Israel back again and that Jerusalem was going to be trampled underfoot until the time of the Gentiles was fulfilled, that means that Israel, Jerusalem would come back under Israeli control. They are under Israeli control today. Again, doesn't mean we agree with everything they do, but God said they would be under Israeli control and it is. It was taken by the Romans. Then Jesus gives this prophecy and it's taken. And if God kept that promise, God's going to keep every other promise. If they listened to Jesus by saying, get out when you see it surrounded by armies and they did it and were saved from destruction, so can we. Number two, the scriptures will be fulfilled. It, it seems like they're taking a long time to be fulfilled, all the promises. But God desires all to be saved and all to come to the knowledge of the truth. And it's not our business when they're fulfilled. It's our business to be faithful in the days that we live to be the faithful light, the city set on a hill that can't be hidden, the faithful light to those who need to see Christ. And you have been called as that city set on a hill. God's promises will come true, but we have to be faithful to this generation. If it happens in our day, great. If it doesn't, we'll go to be with him one way or another. 
right? It's, it, the last time I checked, one out of one person dies. So we'll either be taken by Christ or we'll go to be with him. But during that time, we want to remain faithful because those scriptures are going to be fulfilled. Three, since Luke 21 is fulfilled, Matthew 24 will be fulfilled as well. Matthew 24 is the abomination of desolation and the salvation of the people of Israel. It's the final restoration. God restores the land. God restores the mountains. God restores the fruitfulness. It even says in Ezekiel that God will restore them to a military power, and that has been done. And then God will finally restore them to himself, and they will no longer be highly secular, but they will all serve Christ. And what a day that will be. And I would pray as well, even though it's not told in Scripture, that there would be such a revival in the United States, and we haven't seen a revival in a long time, that the United States would no longer be highly secular as well, because we are a highly secular nation as well. But we're the light. We're the salt. We're the city set on a hill that can't be hidden. We've been given the keys to the kingdom. The gates of hell will not prevail against us. Let's shine bright for Christ. Stand with me, would you? And let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you so much for these passages, which tell us that you fulfill these scriptures. And we pray, Lord, that we would be excited that we've seen these fulfilled in our day and that we can go to Jerusalem today and see that it is no longer trampled underfoot by the Gentiles, but the Jewish people are in control. We thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.